Welcome everybody, good morning, welcome to the Coaches Area Podcast, hosted by me, Ross Flintoft. It's in association with the Tattle Thinker, where the listener or listeners will be able to have full access, all areas, to coaches talking about the beautiful game. Today my special guest is Peter Prickett. Hiya Peter, you okay? Alright, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, again, thanks very much for coming on in the morning and I know I'll not keep you that long because I know you've got to shoot off to work uh, but wh- I'm, I'm going to kick it off uh, what does football or football coaching mean to you? Such a broad thing football coaching isn't it depending on the on the context that you're working in I mean on a for uh, some level on some in more participation-based context, you just you just bring enjoyment to, to kids and players because it's their chance to to go and play. But for others, it's helping to develop them and helping them along the path that could lead to their dreams. Yeah. Good. Especially... For very, and for a very small few, actually, will. But that's, that's, what it, that's what I think what it is to me. And that kind of and that kind of varies if it's in grassroots or academy football. What you've just said about realizing the dreams, maybe more academy level type players, yeah. and then participation, enjoyment, development is maybe grassroots level. No disrespect to both levels, but grassroots level trying to get in the academy level. Yeah, well, working through the context, there'll be at the beginning there'll be sampling, there'll be getting a, a taste and flavour of, of what football is all about and, and learning the game, but learning more through through fun and play. And then as they become more invested in it, it will start to become a bit more serious, but still hopefully fun. Um, and then they could really be training to get a performance and that performance could be their personal performance to aid their development or it could be team performance as they get older yeah. so it, yeah that, that, that environment is really in the context of that environment is really important for the role of the coach but whatever it is hopefully they should be remembering and enjoying uh, enjoying the game that's yeah, what it's for yeah that's what it's all about at the young age isn't it and that those development stages and then in well, new... ho- hopefully when they're older they still enjoy it yeah yeah Hopefully, but sometimes when players get older, they're so kind of transfixed on winning. Sometimes they don't realise it's still fun to play the game and it's still fun if you win, lose or draw. So the, the gratification is eventually comes from the result rather yeah. than the actual participation. Yeah. For whatever reason that may be. Yeah. It could be many ex. That's the external motivation coming in there, yeah. more than the internal enjoyment, just pure enjoyment. Yeah, definitely. Um, what's your coaching journey to date, from when you first started out coaching to to now, really? I started a few, quite a few years ago. Um, we had a recession in the UK at the time. Quite a quite a bad one, um, linked to the collapse of the of the banking sector. 
in the, in America. Um, and I needed work and I need to do something different anyway. And it was suggested to me, why don't I try a career in IT? Because they always need people in IT. Go and give that a go. So I sat down with someone, talked through the courses and how much they would cost and how long they took. And I said, I'd go away and think about it. And my basic thoughts were, I don't really like IT enough to dedicate that amount of time and that amount of money. And I was sitting watching Soccer AM. And Brilliant I think, show. Brilliant show. <laughs> I think it was Max Rushton was doing his FA Level 1 as part of the show. And I looked at that and thought, if they told me it would take this amount of time and this amount of money to do coaching qualifications, would I do those? And I thought, yeah, I would. So I started volunteering um went on a level one course very quickly level one went into level two volunteering started to become paid work and it just built from there to becoming a full-time well near enough full-time coach but full-time employed in football brilliant brilliant um it's always good when you when you try to get paid for your time isn't it or you or you try to get paid for your time and it's because I just think sometimes in, in football you can all, you can only volunteer so much and give up your time so much, and then that that comes at a price, either family, yeah. friends, whatever it might be. But if you get some something financial, could be small, could could be big. Like the financial like um, reward back is. is I got, just something I got quite that, lucky after two after a few months of volunteering. I got offered paid work during the week. Not much. No. Started off at maybe four or five hours and then it, it built from there. Yeah, yeah. To get into about 20 hours, that sort of thing. But then after about three years, I found a grassroots club that paid the coaches. So I wasn't volunteering at the weekend anymore. I was getting paid to coach at the weekend yeah. and that made a big difference. Even if it was something like travel expenses for you to put the petrol in your car to go from and to training, match days, whatever, away games, home games, it's always something that you would either, you, you would accept and you'd be very thankful for, but it, it goes a long way, I think. Um, mm. if, 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 if people are going to pay for your services and it's quite a... Um, it's quite a very thankful thing if I if if I can say this. So people are willing to pay for you, myself, whoever else, because you do a good job. You're great with the players. You're good with the parents, and they find that financial reward for you because you've you've done that good job. That's how I kind of see that as a as a reward for like coaching. It's not, you know, people. Some people are just there. Uh, just for the money in football and, and great like they've got to support families they've got to you know they've got to make the living and stuff like that but I just think it's, it's it's really good that if people are willing to pay for your services um and just and you're giving something back as well even if it's only travel expenses which again 
is 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 more beneficial for for everybody. I think. I don't know. I don't know your thoughts on that. I just think it shows a level of appreciation. Yeah. As like, do you remember? Uh, a few people I'm sure will remember the whole Ashley Cole affair about not getting. That was really famous that he wasn't getting what he he felt he wasn't getting paid enough. Yeah. Even though he was being particularly well paid. Yeah. It just he felt like he was being disrespected because he wasn't being paid as much as other people. And it made him feel underappreciated. Yeah. So I think quite a lot of the time, the money itself isn't key. No, but no. it shows how appreciated you are. It kind of puts you on a, in, in terms of a club, it puts you on a pecking order. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of volunteering and work, it shows how appreciated you are, or not, as the case may be. Yeah, definitely. So... um. You're quite a, a big character on, influential character on, on Twitter. Um, and I just would like to give the, the listener or the listeners, or it could be just me and you listening to this, it could, could be any, don't know about anybody else. Could you just give us like a, a, a brief outline of your, of your four books that you've, or five books that you've um, kind of designed, produced, created? Yeah, I'm trying for the, to go through them. For the listener. Try and go through them relatively quickly and succinctly. Um, so the, the first book was the Freebie Free Developing Skill book. Um, that occurred because we were doing a, a unit of work in our development centre about 2v2s, and 1v1s, 2v2s and freebie frees And... I wasn't happy with the 2v2s because it was too linear for the groups that I was working with. So I started looking more at the 3v3s. And through Twitter, I requested, did anyone have any good 3v3 resources? And aside from Fernino and Horseplane, there was resounding silence. Yeah. So I decided to create some. Um, and I wanted it to be more than just free play. I wanted it to be deliberate play. I wanted there to be an outcome. So without knowing it at the time, I was working along the lines of of teaching games for understanding and um, the CLA approach as well. So I, I was trying to make it a bit, more direct, directed that each game had its had a goal or outcome rather than was just play. Yeah. Um, using constraints. I then put them out on, on Twitter, on social media, and they were well received. And I got quite a few people saying, oh, these would make a great, great book, great e-book, whatever I'm like. Yeah, sure, whatever. I didn't really think about it too much. I left it for a little while, and then eventually I thought, okay, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. So I went through my bookshelf. I looked at the books that were authored by people that I'd not necessarily heard of in the game to see which authors had given no names like myself a chance. And... 
quite a few of them came out as being by Benny and Kearney. So I contacted them and a little bit of discussion. They were, they were up for it. Um, but they said it'll be print to order. It won't be a print run. And don't be surprised if you only sell about a hundred. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll try and beat that. Um, to date that the first book is over 4,000 sales. Wow. Um, <laughs> and we beat the hundred. That's, that's just slight, yeah. that's slightly more than a hundred that you've be- beaten. <laughs> I, I felt it's good that I felt like it was a little bit of a challenge yeah. laid out there. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not happy with that. Okay, I'll go for 500. But as soon as it got to 500, I was like, okay, I want to get to 1,000. Yeah. And so on. Then when book one came out, I got feedback, which was like, this is really comprehensive. And I was just then thinking, I've left a load of stuff out, if you think this is comprehensive. So I went back to the publisher and looked, look, I've got enough stuff to write a second one. And they said, sure, great, but be aware that book two often doesn't do as well as the first book. Okay, and that has definitely turned out to be the case. It's not sold as well. Um, I think we possibly didn't make it clear enough that it was a completely different book and not just a a second volume. Yeah. Um, And that's just passed a 1,000 sales recently um, in... Three and a half, four years, something like that. Um, and then after a little while, we, we came on to book number three, which is the Football's Principles of Play book. Yeah. And that came from another conversation on, on Twitter. There's, there's going to be a theme here because it's going to get mentioned a lot. Um, <laughs> and I was asked by a strength and conditioning coach what he needed to know about football. So I started to answer the question about different positions needing different physical attributes and what you might train. And he said to me, no, no, I mean playing the game. And I was thinking, well, I guess the only universals would be the principles of play. I could, I suppose, have gone for core skills, but I felt it meant actual playing, so it must be the principles of play. So I explained them to him. The traditional Wade principles plus transition in and out of possession. And he's like, this is brilliant. Can you recommend a book? And I struggled. I couldn't recommend a book that focused solely on the principles of play. They might be mentioned in other books as a part of it. Or you might get a book on the principles of someone like Guardiola, Biel. Clock, but not the general principles of the game. So I spoke to the publisher, and my original idea was to write a very small, little 40 page book that coaches could just keep in their pocket almost. And they eventually said, We can't really publish a book of that size. Okay. So I, I dug into it and went for it, and I think I ended up at 100 and 10 or something like that after a bit more research and it turned out that again it was quite simple really to get to about 90 and then it became right let's do for the last bit let's do some plans 
and show how the principles can impact practice to make it look more practical to coaches. <clears throat> and that sold very well, very quickly. That's That book is now two years old. Yeah. And it sold more than the first book wow. already. Wow. And then book number four was another idea that I'd had while studying my master's in performance football coaching, where I'd noticed um, some interesting stuff about priming and how the idea of a more creative player can help to prime players to be more creative in their actual session and in their game um, and more defensive, more protective players prime players the opposite way and you dig in a little bit and for years Curva have been using their um, their stars approach where the, the, the moves are named after players um, I found a really interesting Pepin Linders document from when he was uh, a youth coach in Holland I think it was Feyenoord or it might have been PSV can't remember um, and they actually did themed 3v3 games. They only had four or five different players. They had Beckham, Zidane, that they would use those themes. So if they were playing a Beckham game that was about striking the ball, if it was a Zidane game, it was about control and turning. So he had those, that, that document from quite a few years ago. So I decided, can I apply this to my 3v3 games and can I pick different players and how many practices? And I, I decided on I decided on fifty on fifty players, um, current players, legends of the game, and what attributes they had. And I tried not to overlap too much as well. If the players' attributes were were too similar, so some very famous players got left out. Yeah. Um, to, to try and resonate with the players and with the coaches as well. But I, I do say in the book that if you are a coach at West Ham, you might want to theme your shooting and finishing session around whoever your centre forward is. Yeah. If they're banging them in. Yeah. If, on the other hand, you've got a centre forward who's not scoring any goals you might not want to theme it around them. No. <laughs> no. Uh, so that was the 3v3 book. And then the most recent publication, which has been worked on for quite a while, so I was working on that before the 3v3 Inspired by Legends book, is The Moments That Could Have Changed Football Forever with, with Peter Thornton. Yeah. And the genesis of that book was also from Twitter. Um listening to people debate and argue about Ronaldo and Messi and who's better. Um, and I normally just ignore it, but on this particular occasion, I went, can't we stop wasting our energy arguing about it? Can't you just appreciate them both for what they are? Yeah. And if you are going to use up your time and energy, can you do something more creative with it? Like imagine what if they had actually played together. 
Yeah. So I decided that I would write that what if Messi and Ronaldo played together as a blog. Um, and I actually put out a call for people to see if anyone was interested in, in writing it with me. Um, and a couple of people came forward and we ended up writing a blog where all three of us put down our idea of how we thought it would look if Messi and Ronaldo had played together. Yeah. Uh, we basically all decided that the only real opportunity was that, that Barcelona, that Barca could have signed Ronaldo when Manchester United did and that would have been an opportunity because there was no way that Messi was ever really going to go to Real Madrid. No. So I wrote that blog. Um, lots of interesting responses and I, I knew Peter Thornton from before from some of the freebie free work and other things on, on social media and he called me and he said we should write this as a book rather than just writing it as a series of blogs. You should yeah. think about writing this as a, as a book. Um, so the next experiment was I put out an, another poll on Twitter of what if Brazil from 1970 played the Spain team from 2008 to 2012 that won three consecutive tournaments. And it sparked a lot of debate and I discovered and it continued to be reminded that Brazil 1970 are a sacred cow of football. And if you even dare to suggest that anyone else was even close to them, all, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> but because the book or the concept was such a source of debate immediately, we thought that was one of the great things about it. And then there's just so many moments in football that you could, you could use. Um, and we had to come up with some rules about not repeating. Uh, Mourinho, we could have written half a dozen about Jose Mourinho. We could have done 20 about Manchester United, 20 about Liverpool, but we tried to say no, just one per player or one per club, unless there's something that crosses over. The only exception we made for, to that was with England. But I think we've written about England three times. Right. Well, like including what if they built the team around Ben Hoddle? What if Brian Clough had been the manager and that yeah. sort of thing? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at now. That that book released in June, uh, um, towards the end of the month. Um, it's in some Waterstones, but not all of them. It's on Amazon, and just hoping that uh, enough people can see it to spread the word and yeah and it gets out there yeah I'm, I'm sure it will because obviously I've got the 3v3 inspired by legends book and some of the players are on there <coughs> excuse me um, like I've always liked um, I'm a Geordie so I've always liked Paul Gascoigne Gaza I've always liked um, the kind of argument who's better Paul Scholes Frank Lampard Steven Gerrard, I always go for Steven Gerrard. Um, obviously, Perlo, obviously, Paul Maldini, Berizzi, um, again, influenced by a Dutch coach at a local club where I was for four years. I love everything about Johan Cruyff. Um, and this is the biggest debate that I've got, personally. How much 
would George Best go for in these in these current climate now with the transfer market? And how good would he be using the ball, using the pitch, using the boots, using even the strips? <laughs> the strips sometimes, you know. Um, but I, like, I just I love that. Great, great talent would be great whenever it is simple. It's that yeah. I think it's that straightforward. But just, you know, and they would. Yeah, okay. They might need to be pushed a little bit harder in some ways. Yeah, like they might have to run a bit more. But yeah. The dribblers, especially with the changes in the tackling laws, there's no way that they're not better. No, now, yeah, tactics are different. Yeah, yeah. Teams yeah. are more organised. Yeah. But then I think that the value of players like George Best would just be even greater because they can unlock defences. Yeah. Which would be even more valuable. They might not be able to do it as often, but then, you know, that distance. From the actual events, you makes you you know you look back and you watch the videos and it's like, well George Best never lost the ball. No one ever tackled him, but of course he did. Yeah, it's just that on certain big occasions, not when he didn't, those changed the game. Yeah, and that's the things in in this um, moments that could change football. But we we look at people like. Like Pele, and Pele, there's always people throw out, oh, but he didn't do it in Europe. He only stayed in South America. He scored 400 of his 1,000-plus goals in friendlies, and they cast doubt on a player whose greatness is undoubted. So let's imagine what happens when he comes to Europe, if he comes to Europe. Could he have done it? I think the answer is definitely yes. Mm-hmm. It's not as if when he played against the European teams in international football, he struggled. He still mm-hmm. scored. Yeah. And some of these friendlies that are dismissed, they played a lot of prestige friendlies on tours and they played against the biggest teams in European football. And he scored plenty. Yeah. The only thing... But I think when comparing players of old to current players, which we did with the Brazil 1970 and Spain, we imagined if they played each other, I couldn't give a team tactics that it didn't possess. Yeah. yeah. So Brazil and every team of, of that era, they don't, they don't really press. No. The only ones maybe are the Dutch, but that hasn't got into their, in their national team yet and they're not making any real impact until that 74 World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where they put pressing into what... Uh, the, the USSR pressed a bit, but it was not particularly well, <laughs> well seen or mainstream. But yeah, you couldn't give them, or I couldn't give them tactics. That yeah. they didn't have. Yeah. So I couldn't, because of that, I couldn't answer the question of how Brazil actually got the ball off Spain because they didn't press them. Yeah. So they just sit off in their block and Spain would pass the ball all day and eventually break them down. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to diminish the talent of the Brazilian players, no, no. it's just that tactically the game has evolved. 
Um, so what do you love about the three four three format the most? What do you is it t- more touch of the ball? Is it just that smaller sided stuff or what is what is the what's the most thing that you love about it? So for me it's maths. Um I disliked a 2v2 because it, in terms of geometry and angles, it's all just straight lines. Right. And there is some value in that, but that's not the game. Yeah. So it's not, it doesn't have enough complexity. Um, even for young players. If you've got, I think if with young players you're going to do that, you may as well go down to 1v1. And in some ways, I actually think but 2v1 is of more use than 2v2 because at least then if you are going to attempt these smaller game actions, these connections between two players, then if you do it in 2v1, they have a more of a chance to succeed at it. Yeah. If you do it in 2v2 with young players, the chances are that there's not much that's going to actually occur. It's quite easy to defend in yeah. 2v2. Yeah. So for me, three v three, you get more uh, more game actions, more realistic game actions start to come in. You create triangles naturally because of you you've got three players and it's yeah. going to make a triangle immediately. Yeah. Um, third man run, you can't do a third man run in two v two. No. You can get overlaps in, up, back, and through, and so on and so forth. All of the the real core game movements. Yeah. Plus 1v1 opportunities, plus decision-making, and even defensively, you start to create more shapes than just having two players together all man marking. You start to have, well, we could try and apply more pressure by having the two go up and one cover, or one can go up and the other two can cover, and so on. Yeah. So you've you just got more realistic game actions occurring now, of course, if you play 4v4, you'll get those game actions, but you are reducing the number of touches of the ball per player. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like it's the format where you can get the most individual actions while still being realistic. Because, of course, the most actions and touches you can get is one versus zero, but you've yeah. got no decision-making. No. No. Um, there are times where I cheat on the format. I don't just do pure three v three. I will add in another player. I will add in some bounce players, but that's to try and expand the number of possibilities. Yeah. You still you still got those three. But the core is still the three v three. Yeah. Yeah. You still got that core of three individuals being the team. Yeah. Plus bounce player or a couple of bounce players or another set of three players or, or something like that so you, you're developing that triangular unit or yeah. triangular group together brilliant brilliant so looking from 3v3 what is your favourite 11v11 formation I had to think about this because you sent me a question beforehand and I think I, will, I always like playing three at the back right because I think it gives you more flexibility um, and it helps to create different shapes on the pitch. Talk about di- triangles and diamonds. Yeah, yeah. 
in creating those almost naturally when you've got those back three because they're offset. Um, and then either a form of 3-4-3 three, three or 3-5-2, three, depending, because I like how flexible it is. So the wing-backs give them great two central midfielders, but then it's what you do with the top three that makes it flexible. So if the top three, two of them pull wide, yeah, you've then got your overloads on the outside and you've got your one striker still in there. Or the two wide, the two have gone wide, you pull them very narrow yeah. and you drop the forward in, where it's almost a 3-5-2 to help with numerical superiority in the midfield. Yeah. Or you push the one up higher and the two come in and you create a box in the midfield. Yeah. And I, I like how flexible it allows you to be. And you still got that solidity with the two central midfielders. You're backed up by three central defenders. And actually, I think in that solidity, it allows your def- your defenders, your three defenders, to go forward if, if the opportunity is there because you've always got the cover for them. Yeah. Your central defender can step into the midfield to increase the numbers there. You, uh, From a, a learning perspective, if that central def- defender steps up, you can then have a central def- a central midfielder step back and learn to become a central defender. And also, if you look at the modern game, central midfielders drop in to receive the ball from their centre-backs. Very prevalent and has been for quite a long time. So I think in terms of flexibility plus solidity, I would prefer a 3-4-3 because it gives you opportunities and options like if you're being just another one, if you're being out outnumbered and overloaded, you and struggling at the back, your two fullbacks or wingbacks just drop in and you've got a back five. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's you can. I think it's quite easy to adjust on the fly mm-hmm. with the system. And yeah. if your players are smart enough, and as a coach you trust them enough, you can let them make those changes in game. Yeah. With yeah. very, very little disruption. Yeah. So you you try and change a four three three into a back five, it's a lot more adjustment. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's definitely. what I think. Brilliant. Um what would what has been your favourite practice you've seen or you've designed yourself? Because again you you put loads of good content out on on Twitter and um I was just a, a one that came to mind um by trying to ask you a question that just kind of sprang to mind and what is your favourite practice, what you've seen or what you've designed? So uh God there's a lot to choose from. Uh, <laughs> there's probably a couple of things that come into my mind. There's I, I enjoy in terms of team play, playing through the thirds, right? Okay, dividing the pitch into thirds. But I, I did, I took that a bit step further and almost made it into sixes. Right. So it was kind of like table football. 
Yes, yeah. In a way. Yeah. So no player is in or starts in another set of players' zones. So if you imagine it, let's say it's let's say it's a nine v nine plus a goalkeeper. So you've got three let's say they're reds in that in the in the zone closest to their goal. Then you've got yeah. three blues in the in the zone close next, then three then three, then three. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got nine nine players. So it's got an element of the transfer game because you're trying to play through a box. So we've got screening. So you try and play from one box into the next box and then from one box into the next box and so on. But then you can adjust that and take it further. So if a player plays a pass from their zone into the next zone, they can run forward and join. Yeah. Next zone, they can run forward and join. So you've got the movement of them going from zone to zone. And then you can release players. from. So if they regain, if, say, the the three who are screening win it, off you all go and counter-attack. Yeah. And the game comes alive. And there's just a lot of things that you can, you can do with it. You can have, if the pass goes from one zone into the next zone, players who are locked can track back right okay so we might need two players to go and join so it becomes a 5v3 in that zone and so on so so there's a, there were I, I just felt there were a lot of possibilities and it had a lot of elements to it front screening transition playing forward support movement etc etc et so so that was that's one that i i like and try to use I said try to use because you don't always have the players, you don't always oh, have the space, yeah, yeah, yeah. all, all of that stuff. And, and another practice that I like because whenever someone sees it, they steal it. And it's the warm-up that I always use for any sort of trials or um, if it's the first session with a group and I've never seen them before, I, I use it and it's like a crisscross kind of practice. So how best to describe it? Uh, if you took, if you make a square, take out the corners of the square. So we've got two cones to the right-hand side, not quite in the middle. So yeah. imagine where the middle line would be, but then one cone is to the side of that and the other cone is to the side of that. You then have two cones directly facing those. So we've got some lines there. And then you have the same thing, but on the other ends of the cone. So those are the square. So you've got two groups facing each other, east to west. Yeah. And then north to south. And I start off by having them dribble across the square. And at the top, dribble across the square. Just one ball per line. Yeah. Only three or four in each line. And they just dribble from one side to the other. Four balls being dribbled across, nice and easy. And then you increase the number of balls. So you've then got eight players in there trying to dribble around this space and it becomes about awareness and touches and can they accelerate. Then I get them to pass. So they pass the ball across. So you've got two balls going north to south and two balls going east to west. And it's just about timing. Can they time it? Can they be aware of where the footballs are? 
then we get one set, so north to south, for example, start to dribble across while east to west are still passing. And I always say you are not trying to hit them. You're trying to pick a gap. That's yeah. what he's doing. The challenge is for you to pick a gap. And then we can take that further and we can have after they pass, they follow their pass across to create more chaos in the middle or I get them to move to the right. So if there's the east and, east and west groups have got two side by side, they move from the left-hand one to the right-hand one after passing the right-hand one. So they're just dropping off and in behind. And we can start to put in different movements in there. We put a player, players receiving in the middle. So it goes in, player one, two, player across, player receives turns and plays. And there's just lots of the things that can happen in it. And it can go on almost forever if you, if you are so inclined. But yeah. it's probably best not to because of the player's patience. Yeah, brilliant. But yeah, that's one that people, when they see it, they normally steal it. <laughs> Everyone steals the good stuff, don't they? Don't steal the bad stuff. Yeah. Um. So, what's the what's the best thing? You can only choose one. Um. Out of, if you are going to pick out of the three, being a a tutor, being a coach, or being an author. I would probably pick author because I can do the other two while writing. Okay. While you are, when you when I write something, I am also tutoring and I am also coaching at the same time. Right. Okay. So it, it depending on what I'm writing, yeah, obviously it encompasses elements of the other two. Okay. So I would probably pick that just because it doesn't make me actually choose. Right, okay. <laughs> um, but, so, I mean, I've done this, this last academic year or season, I've done less coaching than in previous years and I have missed it. Right, okay. And I want to try and do some more in the forthcoming season. So that might be a, a clue about what I, I, you know, I still do enjoy the coaching a lot. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I've seen a document on, on Twitter that you posted about um, what aspects would you change in football, like change the game to make it better? Mm. Can you, what type of aspects or what type of changes would you like to see brought in to make football a little bit more interesting? So there are still complaints about the speed of the game. And we see this, not the, not when it's actually being played, yeah. but the breaks that are in the game. And uh, numbers come in every year about how much time the ball spends in play. And they are getting lower and lower and lower. Um, it's like going to the cinema... And it's billed as an hour and 20 minutes. But actually, the first 20 minutes are adverts and the final 20 minutes are adverts and you only get an hour's movie. Yeah. Less than that, so it's 40 minutes. But anyway, um, it's like that. You, 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 you are expecting a certain amount of playing time and you're not getting it. You're not even getting anywhere near it. No. So I would think that bringing in 
shorter halves, but with a stop clock. So when the ball goes out of play, the game stops. Yeah. I think that would be a positive change. Um, I, f- I think probably if you're looking at 35 minutes a half. Right. At the current tempo and energy levels that go into the game. Yeah. 35 minutes with a stop clock. I would also look at um, all, all playing quarters. Without, if we don't, if we go American, yeah, more, more. I say American, but that's what we associate with American sports as quarters. Twenty minutes ish for quarters, so you get more of a break. But if you don't have quarters, then I would definitely think about timeouts to give coaches an opportunity to step in. They maybe get two per thirty-five minutes, yeah, and they're a maximum of a minute, yeah. If there's quarters, you probably don't need those because you, you're having that time to get them in together and, and have a chat. Yeah. So I would look at those changes to get more more actual. When the ball is being is in play and when it's supposed to be in play, more actual play. And at the a bit like with um, with rugby, at the end of each period, the hooter goes. But you play until the ball goes out. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. You play until the ball goes out. You're not waiting for the referee to blow their whistle at an arbitrary moment. Yeah. Normally, when the goalkeeper has caught the ball and looks like he's about to punt it down the pitch. Yeah. yeah. That's normally, we know that's the signal for the, the end of the half most of the time. Yeah. So those are some changes. Um, substitutions would be interesting to see rolling subs. And subs where the player exits the pitch and his teammate comes straight on without having to stop the game. Right, okay. Um, you would probably need to put gates where players could come in on both half, on both sides of the yeah, half yeah. to allow that to be more fluent. So four on and off points. And it just... All it would mean is whoever the player is that's coming on, they just have to walk around the pitch to be yeah. ready to come on. Yeah. It's just another little jog on their warm-up. Yeah, definitely. So I think that would, would help. Mm-hmm. It would kill some of the time wasting. And also if you've got a if it's a stop clock, you can't waste time anyway. No. So that would make the game more potentially more tactically fluid and, and the players would be fresher. Um and the other one that comes to mind is a, a particular bugbear of mine. I can't stand Farins. Right, okay. I just don't see the, the point of them in, in football. I know that they it did start off as kick-ins right. and it was taken away because people were just booting the ball miles. Um, but you you use some of the footsales rules, which I'm, I'm already doing a little bit here anyway with some of these suggestions. You kick the ball in, you kick it below knee height, and you only have a certain amount of time to play the ball once you place it. Yeah, yeah. And then we, yeah, that takes away frontons. And another <clears throat> option I would give the players is a bit like a, a quick kick in in rugby, dribble it on. Yeah. You place it down, dribble on because. How often we see in a game a throw-in 
isn't taken because they've got no options. They're, yeah. they're looking around and the player that's unmarked is the taker. So just dribble it in and the game's away. Yeah, definitely. So those are some of the changes that I think I'd like to try and implement. Stuff that we do when we're doing our youth games. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Quite a few of them anyway. Yeah. Um, again, you put something on, on Twitter about, and can you tell the listeners about the talent pentagram? which you were inspired by Edge? Yeah, so... Um, the, four, from the four corner model of the FA, I think most people who have done any coaching courses will be somewhat familiar with it. Yeah. And I remember when I first saw it, I thought it was missing a corner. And they tried to cover that up a little bit by saying no it's not just technical it's technical slash tactical well you really wanted five corners then didn't you yeah um rather than technical physical social psychological they really wanted another corner and the other thing with the four corner model was i'm very much aware that somewhat piggybacking tips the dutch uh, technical technique, insight, personality, and speed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was reading uh, an Edge and a particular chapter about Athletic Bilbao, and they had a, a different model. They had a different model as well. So, looking at these three models that I've seen, and who can deny how effective Ajax are at, at creating or producing talent and athletic Bilbao absolutely rely on it. Let's look at this. So uh, after a little bit of, of tweaking, I ended up with personality in the center because everything, uh, everything all flow, they, they flow together at some point, all of these things, like we said, with the, the four corner model, certain things that when you're filling it out, where do they actually sit? They probably sit across all four. Yeah. Um, so personality, I think, sits across all five areas that I've come up with. So the, the five are decision-making, game understanding, mentality, technical conditioning, and physical conditioning. Um, personality, I felt, covered a lot of the things that... that in terms of the FA model, goes into social. Yeah, yeah. Um, mentality, psychological, decision-making, I don't really think is particularly well covered by the four-corner model. I think decision-making, whenever I'm writing something to do with decision-making, it ends up in the psychological corner. And I, <clears throat> I don't really think it should be there. I think it should be something somewhere else. Um, same with game understanding and then obviously how what players are able to do technically and what they're able to do physically so that's why I came up with those five areas alongside personality and we run through together and they are connected your decision making will be impacted by your own mentality your technical abilities, your physical abilities, and your game understanding. Yeah. 
and in terms of personality, say as a centre forward, you just missed three chances. Your decision as to whether to take on chance number four or to look for a teammate will be impacted by your mentality. So I've been experimenting with this Pentagon as an alternative. It's not really been fully implemented yet, but I'm just experimenting with it and working on it as as a, another another option. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, fantastic, Peter. I think everyone, uh, the listeners, could take away at least one thing from today's, um, from this morning's podcast. And I just want to thank you. Um, huge thank you to you because you've given up some time before you go to uh, work, which is unbelievable. Um, and thanks very much for coming on. Thanks very much for your insight. Um, and thanks very much um, for being uh, you on it. Um, so I, I was expecting um, like something, but I, I've, I've got more, if that makes sense. I know that's hardly, um, it is sense and it's not sense. Uh, but I just want to think, I just want to thank you. It's been absolutely brilliant and some golden nuggets there that people could can take away and um, use for sessions, use for everyday everyday life, every 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 game, every um, every session, every coaching practice. Because you've just described two there, um, I'm sure people will probably be taking a pen and paper and trying to work things out, and because I because I would be, um, and yeah, just brilliant to have you on. Well, but, but I'm sure those, if they look hard enough, I've, I've shared those on those practices on social media somewhere. So I'm sure I can find them. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you.